So we tried to find a clip that dealt with marriage and football, and uh, we hope you did well. That's uh, Friday Night Lights, and of course today is the Super Bowl, but what I love about that clip is this, this couple, they have this conversation, you can tell they've had it before. She wants him to be a little more communicative, but she kind of loves him deep down for these, these things that he plans that she doesn't, he doesn't really tell her about. And we're going to talk about that dynamic. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you to Highlands Church, and I hope you feel what God is doing here. Also, welcome those listening on podcast today. Also, I don't know if you know that Oprah Winfrey was, he had her show down in San Luis Obispo, and they named that the most amazing or the happiest city on earth. All due deference to Oprah Winfrey. We just think she got it off by about 30 miles. So (laughs) this is the nicest place on earth. So we also want to just thank you for your emails. Send us how your life is going throughout the week. And we wanted to show you one person who won a fishing angling tournament, uh, Darren, who goes to Highlands Church. We can't show off all the awards that people get here. There are too many. But if you wear a Highlands sweatshirt, we will try. So, (laughs) So we welcome you. We're starting a new series today called Real Modern Family. And what we're going to take a look at are some of the dynamics that are related to family life today that didn't used to exist. That the modern family is complex in a way that the old families weren't really. Let's take a look at 60 years ago, just 60 years ago, 1950s. Here's the Cleaver family. You know, look, dad worked nine to five. Actually, I never saw Mr. Cleaver work at all. Did he? He was always at home. Uh, Mom stayed at home. She raised the kids. She didn't have to work. Not many ways to get in trouble. There's no internet, no Blu-ray, no text messaging for the kids. One job for family. Remember those days? People lived in houses with big white picket fences and yards, and they called their kids beaver. I don't know what's up with that. Today, 2011, things are different, aren't they? Dad has gone a lot more. Uh, Very often, there are more than one job per household. In my household, we have three jobs. My wife has two jobs, and I have one. And We don't do that because we like work. It's because we need to. Uh, Mom works. Uh, Kids are in daycare a lot more. Uh, There's a lot of ways for kids to get in trouble. A lot of times, people are raised in condos or apartments, so there's less space for the kids sometimes, and people don't call each other beaver anymore. So what I want to talk about are some of the challenges related to this. And um, just so you know where we're going to go for the next couple of weeks, next week we're going to look at uh, parenting. I'm going to give you my best parenting advice from the Bible. The week after we're going to look at what it means to just be a couple, and also that means empty nesting. And then finally we're going to look at flying solo too, and that's going to happen in three weeks. Today I want to talk about marriage. Let me just get a feel for where you are today. How many people would say that this last year has been not the worst year of your marriage, but not the best? You'd give it like 50-50, kind of a B, B plus. Put your hand up if you're in there. Okay, thank you for being honest. Somebody just got ribbed. Okay. All right, who, who wants to just put your hand up in the air? So last year is like literally the worst year you've had in your marriage, and you can remember. Okay, good. Thanks for your honesty. And now put your hands in the air if this last year has been just the best. It's never been better. You are on cloud nine. You just want to watch football this afternoon. I know. Okay. (laughs) Smart man. Okay. So whenever people come in and talk to me, uh, either premarital counseling or marriage counseling, I talk about five things with people. The first thing I talk about is, number one, what is the role of God in your life? How much are you praying together? How much are you reading the Bible? How much is that a part of your life? We'll go back to this in a second, but that's the first thing I talk about. The second thing I ask couples about is, or where are your finances? More marriages today 
are in trouble because of financial challenges than they are anything else. More marriages fell apart this last year because of finances than infidelity, if you can believe it. So finances are a key component in any marriage. Three, I ask people, how are things going with your kids? It's interesting, as there are challenges with kids, they often have an impact on the couple. So if the kids are doing well, often the couple is doing well. If the kids are challenged, the couple is challenged. Often also, if kids leave the house, there's like, what are we supposed to do now kind of feeling. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. The next thing I talk about is sex. Did I mention there's Adventureland downstairs? (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about it today. But I will say this, as people's relationship with God is more central, as their finances are more secure, and as, well, kids are more, I guess, well-behaved, that fourth thing gets better. And uh, that's all I'll say about that today. (laughs) Number five is what I want to talk about today. Whenever I'm talking to a couple about marriage or pre-marriage, what I always ask them then is, now tell me about that one thing. They look at me like, what do you mean one thing? I, I say, tell me about that one thing that that person in your life provides you that nobody else can provide. It's one thing that God put that person into your life for, and they provide that in a way that nobody else can. My wife, Star, and I have been married for about 10 years, and we've been thinking about that one thing. We had our 10-year anniversary a couple weekends ago, and uh, Star said to me that the one thing, or I told her the one thing that I love most about her is her, her fun, her joie de vivre, her lightness and levity, and she's positive. This morning she came in to me and said, Graham, you're going to go and do a great job today. And I needed to hear that. Now, it wasn't that I thought I wasn't going to do a good job, but she, she's the one who plans vacations. She's the one who doesn't take things too seriously. At the end of the day, she says, Graham, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And, and then she said, well, the thing that you provide me most in your life is you're grounded. You're just a grounded person. And she said, you're emotionally available and you listen. And I said, uh, what were you saying? No, no. <laughs> so we all have that one thing. And as you think about that person in your life, and by the way, uh, you don't have to have a marriage in order to be complete, but people who God has called marriage to right now, this is something that I want you to think about. And I want you to think about this as something that God has given you and not simply something that you like in that other person. What I want you to think about is it's something that God actually took out of you at one point, and that he wants to put back in the process of your marriage. We're going to take a look at probably one of the most complex texts in the entire Bible. We're looking at Genesis 2, 18 through 24. We're going to take a look at why God created marriage. Let's take a look at our text, verse 18. Now the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Again, some translations you may know helpmate, not as good of a translation. It's better a companion. That's a better translation. Now notice the guy is alone. He's lonely. Women, <clears throat> have you ever noticed this? Your, your husband says, I need some space. And so you take off for a couple days. And then he's like crying like a baby when you come home. This is what's happening with Adam. He needs somebody in his life to provide that one thing. <clears throat> Let's take a look. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. 
And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. I wish I could have been Adam. That would have been so fun. Bear. Edifant. I would have done well with that. Move on. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. In other words, there was nobody that could provide this thing. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Notice God almost always does things when men are asleep. Uh, as you're watching football today, remember that. But Abraham was in a deep sleep when God made a covenant with him. Jacob saw a ladder go to heaven as he was in a deep sleep. Joseph found out about Jesus in a dream. And, and so in this dream, God comes to Adam and he causes him to sleep. And while he is sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Now, again, this is one of the most poorly translated texts in the whole Bible. The notion in the ancient world was that there were a few main things you couldn't take out of people or else they would die. One of them was their heart. You need a heart and you need a brain. What is the closest thing, if this is where you think your heart is, to your heart? It's your rib. So the notion is that it would be the closest thing to actually taking out of somebody without actually taking out the thing that they need. And the image would be that God would fill the heart. That's the God-shaped hole in our hearts. But the image would also be that right next to that thing would be the thing that God provided that would help, that would come alongside you. And so God did that. By the way, um, a lot of people have used this to interpret women as being less or less important. Bad translation. You wouldn't say that America is less important than Great Britain because we came from Great Britain, would you? You wouldn't say two flowers in the field, that flower came the flat, that flower, that's less important. You wouldn't do that. Kids downstairs are less important because they came from adults. No. As Joyce Myers said, remember, God took, uh, made woman from Adam's side, not his feet. Remember that. So let's continue. So he creates this womp man. And he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is my bone of my bones. Literally, this is something that is of me. It is something that I have a deep need for. And flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now again, usually this text is used to interpret this, but that's really not what this is about. This text is about that one thing that we need in our lives. So my dad was telling me he flew from Sacramento, where he lives, to go to Boise, Idaho the other day. We used to live in Boise, Idaho, and uh, my dad helped to be a part of a church there called Trinity. It was the most amazing church. Now, my dad's assistant, his secretary, was named Alice. Wonderful woman, and she was married to a guy named Dean, and they were our family friends. Every Christmas, we'd go over to Dean and Alice's house, shag green carpet, naga hide couches, and it was just great. After 14 church services, there were like the ruffles and the ranch potato chip dip there and the olives and the crackling fire and the football, and it was just great. Well, they are in their upper 80s, Dean and Alice. Now, Dean, he is having a hard time seeing. In fact, he's almost totally blind. Dean wears these glasses all the time now, and he can hardly see at all. But that's okay because Alice can see. She has great vision, and so if they ever need a letter written or anything else, he just, she just writes the letter for him or does bills. Now, Alice is almost totally deaf. She can't hear anything. 
But that's fine because Dean can hear just perfectly. So he's blind and can hear, but she is deaf, but she can see. And as I thought about that, I thought that's exactly what we're saying today. God gives us the people that we need that provide us that one thing. And we all have blind spots in our lives, don't we? We all have deaf spots in our ears. And that's what that one person helps provide us. I want you to think about that. And as you think about your marriage this next week, I want you to think about what is that one thing that that person in my life provides me? I uh, heard about this older couple who were driving, and she was deaf. And so they're driving along, and this cop pulls them over. She's driving too fast, and this cop looks in the window and says, Ma'am, I need to see your license. And she says, What? She turns to her husband, and her husband says, He needs to see your license. Oh! So then she gives the license to the guy, and then he says, You, you were speeding, ma'am. He says, What? She turns to her husband and says, You were speeding. Oh! So then the cop looks at the license and he says, I see that you lived in Arkansas. I used to date a woman from Arkansas. She was the craziest woman I ever met. She turns to her husband and says, what did he say? Her husband says, he says he knows you. (laughs) So, okay. Just to see if you're awake. So, why do I love couples who've been married for a long time? As we get older and we are with that person that God has given us, many things start to fall away. We have less money than we used to. And by the way, if you're in that senior position in your life now, you, you know there was time, a time when you had more money. But there's a time when you just bring your stuff down to the yard sale and you downsize. So you have less money. And the kids have moved out. They call you every now and then when they remember. But that's no longer essential part of your relationship. And I don't want to generalize here. (laughs) But there comes a time when that becomes less important too. I mean, Abraham had a child when he was 100. Go Abraham. But, (laughs) But that becomes less important. And what you end up with at the end of the day are the two things that are important. You have this relationship in God, and you have this one thing that you love so much about that person. And without that one thing, you'd just be lost. And maybe it's just the quirkiest thing, and maybe it's the thing that annoys you the most. So it may be being a comforter. There's a little kid who says to her, uh, this little boy says to her mom, his mom, he says, uh, Mommy, would you sleep in my bed tonight? And mommy says, no, I can't. And he says, well, why not? And she says, well, I got to sleep with daddy. He said, that big wimp. (laughs) So maybe the thing that you need most in that person is that you like the fact that they need your comfort. I don't know what it is. But I do know that when you get through this life and you get to that point in your life when it's you and God and that main thing, that will be the thing you miss. I've been trying to get through this little sentence I'm about to read without crying, and I can't do it. There's this couple by the name of Margaret and Joe, and Margaret had Parkinson's. And she was getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker, and so there was a do not resuscitate in their relationship, and they had, he had to make the decision with a family that he was going to let her go. And this is the letter that Joe writes about his person that God gave him for all of their 
marriage together, the most painful decision of my life was asking God to take her home. She had been suffering repeated brain seizures and her body was wasted. I whispered in her ear, honey, I love you. I love you. Jesus wants you to come home. We're going to be okay, the family and I. We give you permission to, to go. She closed her eyes and fell asleep. But as I write this letter, I realize that I am without my editor, my greatest critic. I am without the person that I traveled through the hard times and the good times. Honey, I miss you. I miss you. And one day we're going to be together, all of us, because Jesus promised it. And one day, God forbid, if God should take star from me before I go, that'll be the one thing I miss. And I know the other way will be true. So you think about what that one thing is. Now, you know what? I talk to more couples who have never thought about this before. They've thought about kids, money, and this other thing, but they haven't even thought once about that one thing that that person provides. So think about that. Number two, remember that thing. Remember it. You know, I just love it when people give bad advice that's like just so bad. It's not even funny, but I'm going to give you some... Some advice I read about marriage. This is a woman who's struggling in her marriage. Her husband is starting to annoy her, and she writes for the New York Times. That should be a good enough headline for you. She writes this, as her name is Amy Sutherland. The habits of my husband were beginning to really annoy me. The minor annoyances are not the stuff of separation and divorce, but they began to dull my love for Scott. I wanted, needed to nudge him to be a little more perfect, to make him into a mate that would be easier to love. So I ignored all the books that I was reading, and my nagging husband only got worse. And he started to drive faster rather than slower, shave less frequently, not more, and leave his reeking bike garb on the bedroom floor a little longer than ever. Here. Okay. (laughs) So this is what she does. She goes to a pet training class. She listened with rapt attention as professional trainers explained how they taught dolphins to flip and elephants to paint, and eventually it hit me that the same techniques might work on that stubborn but lovable species, my husband. No. 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 I hear so many people complain about the things that their spouse isn't. My spouse doesn't understand me. Do you see understanding on this list? If you want to be understood, come talk to me. That's what I'm good for. Go, I can help you find a therapist. But understanding is not here. My spouse doesn't meet my needs anymore. You see needs here? My spouse just doesn't clean, doesn't do the yard, doesn't, he complains too much. Yeah. But the question is, what is that main thing? And again, that one thing that may bug you the most, maybe that thing that you need the most. So Nancy Davis comes home and she's trying to get her husband to clean more and he isn't cleaning, but she really tried. She's been praying about it. She comes home with two grocery bags. She sees that her carpet is laid out in the same grid as a baseball diamond that he, her husband has gone through with a vacuum cleaner and he's gone this direction and this direction and this direction and this direction. She's never seen anything like that in her life. She said, who did this? And her husband said, I did And she said, I love you. I love you. That thing that annoys you the most might be the thing that God has given you that you need the most. Last thing I want to lift up is this. Find God in the middle of your relationship. Find him there. I thought about saying, put him there, but that's not right. God is already there. God is already right there in the middle of this thing that God has given you. 
I had to be married for like seven years before I really started to discover God in the middle of my marriage. Every single night, my wife and I have a prayer and a devotion together and would read the Bible. And I know you're saying to yourself, well, good for you, Pastor Guy. (laughs) But it's good. It's really good. Ruth and Billy Graham, they did this right up until the very end. Billy Graham writes, you know, we prayed and read the Bible every single night. It's been a wonderful period of life for us. We've never had a lot of love like we do now, and we feel each other's hearts. I wonder why. Because the rib is that close to the heart. And you know what the amazing thing is? When you start to think about that one thing that God has given you, you also start to see God in that space. After the last service, Joel Deering came up to me and he said, you know what my parents said was their favorite thing they did in their marriage after 60 years of marriage before she passed away? Sitting in church together, holding hands. I know there's a lot of folks here today who are struggling and who it's not easy for. And the one thing I would say is there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can't be fixed through the power of prayer in a marriage. Nothing. Our lives are like these rocks. And we are these jagged edged stones. And God puts us in this stone polisher called marriage. We turn and we turn and we turn and we knock each other's edges off. And we're made beautiful by the power of God. Father, I ask that you would be with marriages today. Help us to see that one thing that you love so much and that you gave us. Lord, there are people here today who are not married, and I pray that you would help them feel complete in you. Lord, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.